Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and uh, I uploaded uh, several uh, audios that we've done over the last few weeks or months. Uh, we finished all our audios on the going through Exodus word by word, uh, verse by verse, so that we can get a better look at what Exodus was all about. We have our page on Turtle Dove, and I included our our uh, audio on propaganda. I uploaded uh, or shared a... Uh, Michael Knowles, uh, speech on propaganda and what everybody calls, uh, conspiracy theories on Facebook, uh, because I thought it was kind of an interesting, uh, talk. It kind of summed up a lot of stuff about conspiracy theories, but conspiracy theories and accusations of, uh, conspiracy theories are as old as the Garden of Paradise, because, uh, you know, the liar of liars was there rearranging the truth in a way that it became a lie. It, you know, the, almost everything that the devil said to Adam and Eve, or to Eve anyway, and then Eve passed it on to Adam in the story, was abs- absolutely true from a certain point of view, if I can quote Obi-Wan. And... and by arranging the truth in a particular way, you can lead the mind of an individual to think a particular way. And that is because the mind of the individual is actually the tree of knowledge. That in your nervous system, in your whole body, I mean, part of your brain is supposedly in your stomach. There are actually brain cells in your stomach and and things that you eat, things that, you know, like bacteria in your, in your, uh, digestive system can actually affect your mood. They can secrete chemicals that will, that will create, uh, mood changes in the individual. So we're, we're very subject to, you know, if it gets too hot, it gets too cold, uh, to the environment around us. All these things can affect what we're doing, what we're thinking. I mean, we can watch a scary movie and become absolutely terrified even though we know the movie is simply a videotape that we or a DVD that we popped into a machine and is playing and we can stop it at any time. <laughs> but it can actually create the emotions of fear and anxiety and and uh, you might not sleep well. Uh, you might be more spooked uh, when walking in dark places because you saw that movie with the crazy clown guy. And and all these things can affect you because it's all input coming into your mind and information that is being recorded in your brain. And uh, that's the tree of knowledge. And it's recorded all over your body and your emotions and in your physical body. Uh, and it affects you by the release of hormones and everything else just by visual images that come into your eyes or sounds that come into your ears. 
that we can affect you emotionally, mentally, uh, and physically uh, because of this input that is coming into our senses because we're uh, sentient beings. But there's another peculiar aspect to us which is supposedly spiritual. And that's a little more difficult to put under a microscope or uh, to examine, but that seems to be us because when the spirit departeth, the body dies. Or when the body dies, the spirit departeth. Uh, something takes place. And there's something unique about mankind. I mean, we have this brain supposedly on the top of our head that makes us so smart, but actually... Uh, you know, the brain of a whale is much larger <laughs> than the human brain. Of course, a whale's much larger. But, uh, so what, what is this other tree of life? This is the spiritual connection in our bodies where we can tap into what in the Hebrew language was called the, the divine spark, the yod, this connection to God. And, you know, Michelangelo's painting of man reaching out to God and God reaching out to man and their fingers almost touching. Supposedly, when they touch, that's the divine spark. That's the symbolism in the painting. So, what is this? So, do we really make all the choices that we think we make? Are we sitting in our brains, taking in information... Uh, and this is one of the things Michael Knowles is very fond of is logic. And he, and he often presents very logical arguments and uh, lays them out rather well. He's a very intelligent guy and he understands a lot about logic. But he's also a devout Catholic, which the religion of Catholicism doesn't have a lot to do with logic. It has to do with belief and catechisms. But there, a lot of these things were formed by men who were very logical and very thinking individuals. But then people read people like he, he was quoting in the the, uh, the video I shared on Facebook uh, that he was invited to I think it was uh, University of Saint Thomas and uh, to speak, and they canceled him. They weren't going to let him speak because. He had these dangerous ideas, which he said, I got from the Catholic catechism. <laughs> That's where he got his ideas. And uh, the the college was named after, I think, St. Thomas Aquinas. And, and much of the ideas that were in Michael Knowles' talks were coming from the writings of Thomas Aquinas, who... Uh, was a very intelligent guy. So you can have very, but you can have very intelligent guys that are very bad people. And you can have very intelligent guys that have very bad ideas and do very bad things. Because being intelligent is simply having a very luscious tree of knowledge on the top of your head where you can have all kinds of information and it's there in your personal garden, that tree of knowledge. All this, you can reach out and you can remember facts and you can remember information. 
and you can accumulate all this information and facts and you can put it together in a logical fashion and say, well, this fits because this fits and this fits because this fits. And that's a tool that is in your garden, that is in your body, this this mental capacity that where you're very intelligent. And you can remember all this facts and all this information and just spout out these quotes and 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 it's all there right at your fingertips because it's right there in your mind. But again, that's the tree of knowledge. And and God gave us the tree of knowledge. I saw a minister who was going to offer a free course. I didn't take it. But he was going to explain why God put this terrible tree of knowledge that we can't eat from in the middle of the garden. What was the reasoning behind that? If you take the course, he would explain it to you. But he said a few things and I thought, I don't think he knows why it's there. But the tree of knowledge is there as a source. Your brain is there as a source of information. You can, you can hold all kinds of information in your mind. And you can use that information. And and it could make you a very good speaker. It could make you a very good uh, storyteller. Because you can remember all this stuff. But that's, it's a tool. It's not the actual source. Now, when they talk about eating of the tree of knowledge, it makes the tree of knowledge a source. But it becomes a source for what? A source for guiding you. A source for leading you so that you can walk with God. Well, no, that's not what the tree of knowledge is there for. It's a tool. You may use it. You may climb up into the branches and you may look at it, the beautiful branches and all the leaves and all this stuff. And you may even sit in the shade of it. But it's not to guide you as to what is good and what is evil. By itself, it is totally inadequate for telling you what is good and what is evil for this particular moment. It's just, it just, it will lead you astray. Some snaky guy will come along and give you knowledge that is absolutely true, but arrange it in a way where you make a really, really bad decision. And if you're going to make a choice as to what is good and evil, you need the tree of life. And you, that tree of life you have access through to what in the New Testament we call the Holy Spirit. Now, there, there's reference to a Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. They use, you know, of course, Hebrew language. And it's not always translated Holy Spirit. But there is a spirit that guides the prophets, for instance. And that's the Holy Spirit. So if you're going to be deciding what is good and evil, that choice that you can make, you need that Holy Spirit. You need that divine spark. You need you need to get close to God in order for that spark to spark over to you. So that's very important to draw near God. And of course, there's a word Corbin that comes from a word to draw near that is actually a Hebrew word that it can be translated sacrifice. And for some reason, the sacrifice of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect. The Corban 
of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect. And we give you loss of information through your tree of knowledge as to why that sacrifice set up by the Pharisees and with the help of the Herod who was king at one time in Judea and with the help of the Sadducees because it was also the Pharisees and the Sadducees and even many of the Zealots had set up this system in Judea of sacrifice where you gave money to, or you know, money or uh, commodities uh, to the the government through the temple because the temple was a government building and it was making the word of God to none effect. It wasn't drawing you near to God. It was drawing you away from God. Now they had a choice to create that system and they did and, and it did some side effects to that as it caused sons to do no more ought for their parents. They weren't going to take care of their parents anymore. Uh, you know, their parents had a need, they'd say, go to the temple. I gave to the temple. And, and so, if you have a need, you know, don't ask me for it, you just go to the temple. You know, and I've, I've, I've mentioned, well, I won't go there right now, but let's, let's go back to, somebody made a choice to go the way of the Corbin of the Pharisees. And they made that choice for the same reason that Eve made a choice to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because it sounded like a good idea to them at the time in the way that it was presented. And there's been a lot of those same ideas offered to Americans, offered to Australians, offered to English people. You know, we give an example at the beginning of the Free Church Report of where this idea was offered to the English people by the king, the ruler, or at least a ruler in England back in in the area of the time of 1066 to 1090, somewhere in there. He offered this idea of taxing the people to take care of the needy of society. Now, the money wasn't going to go to a special government program somewhere. It was going to go to the church. Because the church was who was taking care of most of the needy at that time in England. Because that's what pure religion is. It's how you take care of the needy of your society. You know, the widows and orphans whose family is broken down or or they've had some sort of disaster or a difficulty or disease or fell off a ladder or got injured in a war. Uh, Moses had done the same thing with his Jehovah Nisi. He'd set up an altar to help take care of the needy that were produced by this conflict with the Amalek's. And people like the Malachites and all this stuff. When you have these conflicts and you've got a, you know, 10,000 men running towards another 10,000 men and they all got sharp stuff, people get hurt. And maybe they can't work. Maybe they're, they're, they have to recover from their wounds and maybe they don't recover from their wounds. There's widows created by these conflicts. So you have to help them out. And so, Moses created the altar of Jehovah Nissi. And we've explained in our whole series on Exodus what Jehovah Nissi is. Why the word Nissi? Because you can go into uh, the Masoretic text, you can go into uh, 
the Talmud, and you could go into all kinds of Jewish writings, all kinds of rabbis, and they all have different opinions. There's lots and lots of different opinions. Why he created an altar and called it Jehovah Nisi? Why, why would he call it that? Well, of course, we explain that in our articles on Sumer and turtle doves and goddesses and all that stuff because the turtle dove goddess, the dove goddess of Sumer was called Nisi. <laughs> but he was not creating an altar like the turtle dove goddess, like the Corbin of the Pharisees. He was creating an altar based on the divine spark of Jehovah, uh, of Yadavah. You know, this Yahweh that we talk about. That they had a different... And they tell you right at the beginning of that chapter what was distinctive about the altar that he was creating. And, and they repeated it over and over again. The prophets repeated it. It's throughout the Bible. Although they, they translate the Hebrew a little different here and there so you don't always see the whole translation is that the offerings at his altars had to be freely given. Free will offerings. Of course, Christ said the same thing. You know, he talks about the good steward who goes out to the people and says, well, how much do you owe the master? Well, all things equal, I owe the master a hundred denarii. He says, well, how much can you pay? Well, I can only pay 50. I don't have 100 denarii. Things have been bad. You know, they had the shutdowns. I didn't make as much money. You know, whatever. You got all kinds of excuses. But the reality is you don't have it. Your kids will starve if you try to pay the whole thing. He says, well, what can you pay? He says, I can pay the 50. Okay. I'll mark it paid in full. We'll start over again today. Because you're not supposed to carry a debt. You're not supposed to put the people in debt. That would be a violation of the Sabbath, which we've talked about many times. And if you don't know, you have to go back and listen to those recordings because we're not going to talk about that today. But the point is, this is the distinction between the followers of Christ and everybody else in the world. This is the distinction between the followers of Moses and everybody else in the world. Is that all their offerings were free will offerings. I went through this whole thing, 17 episodes with Jordan Peterson. Another guy got a big tree of knowledge on the top of his head. <laughs> it is a bushy tree of knowledge. Lots of information. And some of his ideas are really good. And some of his ideas are not so good. And if you listen to him in order to make a choice between what is good and evil... You're going to get stuck up, hung up, hung out in his tree of knowledge. But you you should be able to listen to him because he has a lot of knowledge. And you can add to your tree of knowledge. You, you want it to grow. You want it to be full of knowledge. But when you make that choice as to what is good and evil, you need to go over and eat of the tree of life. You need to go over and eat of the Holy Spirit. And you have to become more a spiritual being walking in the spirit than a physical being walking in knowledge and information. And that's tricky if you can put a lot of information in your head. Because you have to be able to turn that off. And I've told lots of stories, been 
out at sea where you couldn't see <laughs> and in a boat that had was leaking a little bit of water and there were sharks around and and uh it was a sailboat with no real good other means of transportation we actually had the rudder fall off once <laughs> on the sailboat uh, we were lucky that we survived that but you had to navigate and you didn't have the knowledge as to where you were going. You didn't know where the reefs were, where the shoals were. Yeah, I mean, even finding that rudder when it fell off. It fell off, fortunately, in a swamp. But, of course, there's alligators and, and uh, well, uh, I don't know if there's any crocodiles. But there were giant snappers in there. There were water moccasins in there. And I had to go down in this murky, swampy water and find... I had to find not only the rudder... But the bolt that held it in place. <laughs> and, and I could tell you that listening to the tree of knowledge would not have helped me find that. But I found it. But, uh, so you need to cultivate that Holy Spirit. And the way you do that to draw near the things of the Spirit is that you have to sacrifice. And this is what Christ came to show us. That you have to lay down your life in order to pick up your life more abundantly. Now, the evil of the world, you know, those, the reptilian snaky guy who was talking to Eve, he, he doesn't want you to choose to go to the light of God. He doesn't want you to choose to eat of the tree of life. He wants you to eat of the tree of knowledge. That's something he likes to do. And he wants you to do it too. It's like going into a bar and ordering milk. Everybody will buy you a drink. <laughs> you know, like you're drinking milk. I, I don't, I don't really want to drink. Oh, let me buy you a drink. You know, because misery loves company and evil loves you to become evil too. So they're going to try to make you to choose to give up your right to choose spiritual things. And that's why I, I love the Archibald McLeish quote where he says freedom is the right to choose that you have this right to choose you can't choose with the tree of knowledge with information because that can be manipulated by controlling the amount of information that you get you know they they can censor the information we've seen a lot of that recently but that's been going on since the garden censoring information there you got the the University of St. Thomas censoring somebody who's talking about what St. Thomas talked about because St. Thomas was a lot more direct in his discussion of what Michael Knowles is talking about than Michael Knowles because <laughs> Michael Knowles doesn't want to get censored on YouTube. But St. Thomas was a lot more direct. So these guys are going to the University of St. Thomas and they don't want to hear the watered-down version of St. Thomas. <laughs> because they've already had the information in their head watered down to, you know, maybe they went to public schools, maybe they went to private schools. I went to private schools. I went to private Catholic schools. And, uh, but I, I, you know, God was controlling my path a lot more than I was. And so he led me to certain people that a lot of other people uh, didn't get to hear from. But that's because I was listening to God because I wasn't very good at listening to anybody else. <laughs> I was very precocious. But anyway, we're going to talk more about this right to choose and what's happening to it when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Mm-hmm. 
So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. At the beginning of the show, or just before the show, I was listening to the the radio station that we broadcast these shows on uh, in the morning on Saturday. And uh, they have a commercial, uh, I don't know, it's not really a commercial, it's just a uh, a quote that they have there where our president, or former president, uh, is saying that we need to surrender our rights uh, to a sovereign, a, a supreme sovereign, I think is the word they use. I'm, I'm probably not quoting it exactly right. And and I absolutely agree with that statement. We need to surrender our right to choose to a supreme sovereign. Of course, my idea of who that supreme sovereign is might be considerably different than his. <laughs> so, <laughs> but the words are correct. But what he means by them is not what I would mean by them because repentance is surrendering your right to personally choose with your own intellect and listen to the supreme being of the universe, this divine will, this divine creator, this giver of life, to listen to that and follow that guidance. And of course, that's what we do when we eat of the tree of life. And that we go to him and say, God, what do you want me to do? We're surrendering our right to choose to do the wrong thing. (laughs) Or we might accidentally choose to do the right thing. But it's almost always the wrong thing if we don't let God show us the way to go today. You know, whether it's, you know, navigating through the ocean or or, or traipsing through the Canadian North Woods, uh, or, or in the dark up on the high desert with no flashlight walking, with no moonlight, no starlight, and, uh, having to walk through miles and miles of rocky terrain. How do you know where to put your foot? How, how do you know where to step? Uh, what is guiding you? There is no light. So, you have to learn to walk in the Spirit. And if you walk in the Spirit, you'll know where to put your foot. But that's an individual thing. And and that's your freedom and right to choose. And you can choose to put it where you think it ought to go. Or you can ask God, where do you think I ought to put my foot? And that's a trick. That's a bit of a trick. Because you have to shut off your own willpower your own vanity, your own pride, and admit you don't know what's right to choose. And the smarter you are, the 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 more powerful your brain capacity is, sometimes the more difficult it is to shut it off and listen to the Holy Spirit. Now, when I talk about shutting off your intellect, the tree of, you don't cut down the tree of knowledge. It's still there. But, and and it still has information in it. I mean, like if you want to fix your engine. I I knew a guy who didn't really know much about engines, but when when we had car trouble, when we were traveling around, it was an old Chickasaw Indian. uh, He would look at the engine. We'd open it up, try to figure out why it didn't start. (laughs) And he would look at the engine, and he would just stare at it, and he said, it's here. And he would point to something. He didn't even know what it was. <laughs> he was pointing to. <laughs> but you know, he was he was right. It was that. 
<laughs> that we had to deal with. But uh, he didn't know anything about engines, but he did know how to shut his brain off. He didn't always know this. He had screwed up his life a lot of different ways, but he was repentant and he was seen that you have to... You have to listen to the Holy Spirit. You didn't even know how it all worked. I mean, he couldn't explain it. But we worked together really well. I was the last person to speak to him before he passed away. But uh, he was very important in my life because he many of the things that he had learned, he shared with me simply by being in the room, not by saying anything. Because many of the things he learned, he didn't learn it intellectually he had he did know a lot about some things but oh it was a fascinating experience and i could sit he wasn't a perfect guy you know i could sit and probably talk to uh, michael knowles i could probably talk to ben shapiro i could probably talk to jordan peterson and have a conversation i don't agree with him entirely i don't agree with anybody entirely that it's almost a joke around here when somebody comes and says that they agree with me 100 percent I don't want anybody to agree with me 100%. I want them to agree with God 100%. Because I'm not always right. I'm flesh and blood like everybody else. I'm trying to learn to walk in the Spirit. And that's what repentance is. It's not walking in the tree of knowledge. Although God may give you a lot of knowledge. And you can maybe use that knowledge. But you need to be walking in the Holy Spirit. So freedom is the right to choose. And I hope you choose life. I hope you choose the tree of life. I hope you choose choose the Spirit of God. And we talk about the Spirit of God so you know that's probably not the Spirit of God over there. That guy who's molesting children, that's pretty clear that that's not the Spirit of God. Uh, that guy over there who's injecting poison into people and killing them. That's probably, he's probably not following the Spirit of God. Uh, these people over here that are, you know, lying and saying everything is a conspiracy theory and then, you know, six months later you find out that yesterday's conspiracy theories are actually the facts. <laughs> and they even admit it, but then they say, but that's all over with now, let's all be forgiving until the next time when they do it again. And the next time is always coming. Because this has been going on since the garden. So freedom is the right to choose. The right to create for oneself the alternative of choice. Not the alternative of what's right and wrong. Not the alternative of what is good and evil. But the alternative of choice. Without the possibility of that choice and the exercise of that choice, a man is not a man but a member, an instrument, a thing. And that's what Adam and Eve became, instruments and things of who we call the devil, of the serpent, of the liar. And a lot of people out there have become instruments of the liar. And the lies go back all the way to the garden. The, the, the translators of the ancient scripts Many of them were liars. Uh, the interpreters of many of the ancient holy scripts are liars. When you read the Bible, you can falsely interpret it if you're depending upon your tree of knowledge. 
and not upon the tree of life. So how do you get closer to the tree of life? And, and one of the ways is to love your neighbor. Love requires sacrifice. Taking care of a baby requires sacrifice. Taking care of your family requires sacrifice. To nurture any kind of life with your time, your energy, is a form of sacrifice. So, that's what you should be doing when you go to church. You should be sacrificing. I'm not saying putting money in an envelope and dropping it in the basket, although that is a form of sacrifice. But it's time and energy. Money is just a representation of time and energy. When you gave a sheep to the Jehovah Nisi altar of Moses, you brought a sheep or a cow or a goat to the Jehovah Nisi of Moses. It it's actually represents your sweat, your time, your energy, the heartbeats of your body. And you gave them up. You had them. And you gave them up for somebody else. But why Why can't we just go give to the people we see needy? You know, like I saw a lady who uh, needed to uh, have her tire changed on the side of the road. So I helped her. You know, I, I told about the comedian who says that he d- drove by and saw that. and And he said, he thought. Ah, I should have helped her. But now I've gone beyond her and I can't go back. But So I'll pray for her. <laughs> Farther down the road, he prayed for her that somebody else would stop and help her. <laughs> and now, I'm not against prayer. I think prayer is a really good thing. But if he was a little quicker with the prayer, he would have seen and thought, well, you know, God, should I help her? And God would have told him. <laughs> And he would have stopped and helped her. But he wasn't very quick on the prayer. Because he's not really driving in the spirit. Of course, he's a comedian. It was a funny way of putting it. It was funny because we all do those kinds of things. We make excuses. And Jesus talks about people making excuses. And Moses had to deal with all the excuse making of the people. Who tried to put the blame on Moses for their bad choices. I mean, they weren't in bondage in Egypt because of Moses. They were in bondage in Egypt because they did not hear the cries and the anguish of their brother when they threw him into a pit after beating him up and sold him into slavery. They didn't, this is why they ended up going into slavery. And that was one of the things in Jordan Peterson. They didn't seem to get it. They were slaves in Egypt when they agreed to one-fifth of their labor was going to go to the government. They they were going to keep four-fifths of their labor, 80% of their labor. And, and it, supposedly it couldn't go above that forever in Egypt. Like I said, when I was a boy, that was still the law in Egypt. You could make a million dollars and you only had to pay 20% of it to the government. When I was, actually, when I was a young man. 
when I got out of college. Um, what college I went to. That was still the law in Egypt. 20%, one-fifth. Now, Joseph didn't make the deal with FDR. Archibald McLeish did. Because <laughs> he was actually working for FDR uh, at one time. And, uh, you know, and, and you know, he, he was a smart guy. Big tree of knowledge. Very, very intelligent guy. But they, and as time progressed, as he was working for FDR, I began to realize, you know, this, everything that we're doing to help with the depression is prolonging it. It's making it worse. You know, like the, the, the line in Monsters Incorporated. You're making it worse. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's what they were doing. And, but that was the plan from the beginning to bring you down. It didn't start with Klaus Schwab. And, and I don't even know if a lot of the people that are part of the plan actually know they're a part of the plan. But they are a part of the plan because they're listening to a different spirit. They have surrendered their rights to choose to a different spirit. It's the spirit of force, not the spirit of sacrifice. And that's why, you know, all the social welfare in America and 90% of all the social welfare in churches and synagogues all over the world, including the, the you know, the, the, the church that set up St. Thomas University. Most of the charity that those people receive in those churches is charity from men who exercise authority one over the other. Which is going to lead you automatically, cause and effect of the universe, away from God. Away from the Holy Spirit of God. So they have to replace it with some sort of spirit. And the spirit they replace it with wants you to surrender all your rights <laughs> to a supreme sovereign. But that supreme sovereign isn't the creator of heaven and earth. It's, he's working for the reptile in the garden. He wants dominion over this earth. In order to get that dominion, you have to surrender that dominion. You know, this is why Peter writes, well, unto those who despise dominion. No, we don't translate it dominion. We translate it government. But it actually means dominion. It says, well, unto, you know, if you read your translations, it's one to those who despise government. You know, and of course, that's all those conspiracy nuts out there, you know, as I edge across the room away from them. <laughs> but no, it's the ones who despise dominion, who don't want the right to choose. They don't want the alternative of choice. They want to give the power of choice to the government. You take care of the needy of your society. In our local county, there was a county commissioner. And they were faced with, you know, mental health issues. Because that's become a job of the government, supposedly. And the local counties could take back issues of health. Actually, according to the Oregon Constitution, that it is... You know, what was it? Was it Patrick Henry? 
was trying to remember if it was Patrick Henry who was the first uh, minister of health in Massachusetts. Is uh, one of those guys. Um, but uh, no, I think it it might have been um, Paul Revere. I think that's that's. I don't know. I have to go over into those branches and check that out. <laughs> you can look it up yourself. Who was the first uh, administrator of health? But what what was the administrator of health doing? He wasn't forcing vaccinations, although we did see some forcing of vaccinations back in uh, the uh, uh, early early states. But they didn't actually force vaccination. They misrepresent the. Uh, this was a city ordinance, and it was only a five dollar fine. And if he moved out of the city, he didn't have to take it. And, uh, you know, so it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't forced vaccinations. Like, if you don't get this vaccination, you lose your job. We shut down your business and you can't come back to work. I mean, the nurses in the local hospital to the north of us are all on strike. I, at least as of a couple of days ago. Uh, this, yeah, I think it's as of yesterday. They, they worked on the first because then their medical coverage kicks in for the whole month <laughs> if they go to work on the first. So they scheduled the strike for the second. So they're on strike up there. And they say their major one of their major bases, they're overworked. They don't have enough help. Why don't they have enough help? Because they're still requiring every nurse get vaccinated to work at that hospital. Still today, even though we know it doesn't prevent transmission, it doesn't it doesn't keep you from getting it but they won't let it go. They're still forcing those nurses if you and so like I said we still have we have registered nurses running the cash register at the feed store. Because they're not going to go back and work under those conditions. That's going on. That tyranny is going on right now in your country. And you can't do anything about it because you haven't been walking in the spirit. You've given up the alternative of choice. You, you you've given up uh, in many ways, the right to create for oneself the alternative of choice. But that's what Christ came to do. He came, and he had a number of apostles. We know a number of the apostles were what they call idiotes in the Greek. There's a, there's a word they mistranslate. They They tell you that means unlearned. But it actually really means, in the context of the statement, unregistered. Because I know at least some of the apostles were not registered with their system of social welfare. With the temple. And we know that anybody who got the baptism of Jesus Christ was kicked out of that system. But when they got the baptism of Jesus Christ by the apostles, they again had the alternative of choice. They they were literally by baptism they were creating for themselves the alternative of choice. But they still were going to need a system of social welfare because bad things happen. Dearth, plagues, we see that right away in Acts. There's a dearth, there's a shortage, there's a famine. There's a lack of food. They could go down to the local temple. And obtain some of the gifts, gratuities, and benefits at the local, you know, Temple of Roma, Temple of Jerusalem. You know, you can join those systems and they will give you free bread. 
but not without waiving a right to some of that choice. Because now the, all those systems were based on forced offerings. But Christ's system was based on free will offerings. And why is that? Well, you don't have to ask the Bible. The Bible tells you and almost all the prophets tell you. David tells you. Paul quotes David and, and, and points out that what should have been for your welfare is a snare and a trap. That's what David said. And, and Paul points that out. And, and that if you sit and eat with rulers, uh, put a knife to your throat if you be a man of appetite. Because he serves deceitful dainties. His, his deceitful meats are the dainties of rulers. Because they're snaring a trap too. That's Proverbs. The one purse don't consent to that. It's Proverbs. But, but you, like I said, you don't have to go to the Bible. You can go to Plutarch. Who wrote that the, the man who first ruined the Roman people was he who first gave them treats and gratuities. But this mischief crept secretly and gradually in and did not openly make its appearance in Rome for a considerable time. And of course we chronicalize that history. If you go read our article on Julius Caesar and Augustus Caesar, we show you that Augustus Caesar was giving benefits to the Pharisees. Giving them special exemptions, you know, giving them free bread, uh, shipments of grain were coming in to Israel and, and or Judea and and Jerusalem from Caesar. And if the day of distribution fell on a Roman uh, on a Jewish holiday where they couldn't come and get it like the Sabbath, they were exempted and they could come on another day because they, usually these giveaways were on certain days so that you know guys weren't running around and getting in line again and getting an extra amount. So they would give it away on certain days and these would be feast days. And Roman feast days didn't always coordinate with Jewish feast days. They even exempted Jews from the military for a while because the Jews wouldn't march on, the pharisaical Jews wouldn't march on the Sabbath, which is a good way to get out of that. (laughs) But they're all covetous practices. From the fathers of the earth, the patronuses of the earth, from, from, you know, that, that was an amazing thing, reading that. Call no man father. And I actually see Christian, uh, scholars saying that you weren't to call your own dad father, you were to put God the father first. That that was, that was what that was all about. But, Anybody who studied any real history, not what you get in schools, but real history, knows that the emperor was called Patronus, which means our father. The, the, the senators were called the conscripted fathers. Everybody who heard Jesus say, called no man on earth father, and, and, and the same section where he's talking about where you pray for your daily bread, knew exactly what he was talking about. Modern Christians don't know. They keep going to the fathers of the earth for their daily bread. But their daily bread is the leaven of Herod and the leaven of Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Jesus and John the Baptist opposed that leaven because they were 
the wages of unrighteousness because they were based on force. So if you if you want to create that alternative of choice, you can actually do that now. And that's what Moses was teaching the people of Egypt. They still had to pay their tally of bricks for a while. And when they were finally didn't have to pay their tally of bricks anymore, life got even more difficult. But it was got difficult so that they would learn to walk in the Spirit. And I believe that many of the Israelites were eventually... Do- of course, we always hear about the guys, you know, the Dathans, the guys who aren't walking in the Spirit, who want to return to the bondage of Egypt, to that common one purse, to that reserve fund of a golden statue, which is just a central bank. And if you don't know these things... You know, if you haven't ever heard these things before, you need to go back and listen to our recordings. I put uh, numerous recordings up that, you know, on the pages. You can go to our page on Goddess or Turtle Doves, same thing. And, And I've got these four recordings up there now. And you can start listening and put these things together. Luke 21, 1. In the meantime, when they were gathered together... An innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And all these churches, all these synagogues out there, you know, I've heard people... People say that, you know, that we should go back to charity, but they're all still sending their people to the men who exercise authority one over the other. And that is making the word of God to none effect in their hearts and their minds and placing them farther from the tree of life. But we're going to look at John 5 when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, I've, I've had a number of questions that were brought up uh, on the Internet that I saw, and I was going to address some of those. I'll probably do it in the afternoon show because I don't know if I'll have enough time in this show. But uh, if we... Uh, uh, I did have another question that came up concerning John 5, and so I've... Uh, I put together, uh, you know, I'm going through all the different chapters of the Bible and uh, we've gone through most of the minor prophets, etc. But um, I also had uh, a question concerning uh, Jacob and his altars of Bethel. And uh, Jacob said to Simon and and Levi, which we talked about before, that uh, you have troubled me to make me to stink amongst the inhabitants of the land of the Canaanites. And in one of our afternoon shows, I think it was, that we talked about what was going on there, that the the brothers had, you know, betrayed uh, somebody who had slept with their sister and uh, he wanted to do the right thing and he wanted to, they wanted to convert to the ways of, uh, of Israel, etc., but it was kind of astounding to me is that uh, Jacob, this seemed to be a time when Jacob was actually uh, setting aside uh, some of 
what had been going on in the people that were following him. Because it wasn't just Jacob and his family. There was a lot of people. These people moved in large groups because it was safer that way. Otherwise, you could be set upon by a handful of crooks and 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 robbed. So that people were coming together because that was essential, you know, to uh, the safety of of the community uh, of the individual. That just lone going out there by yourself was not usually a good idea. Although occasionally maybe people did it. I'm I'm not a hundred percent convinced that Moses necessarily was always traveling by himself when he first came. You know, when he was cast out, you know, that's the way the movie portrays it. They just don't mention anybody else. Or that Jacob, when he went out, was he completely by himself? Well, maybe. They just don't mention anybody else. Uh, It doesn't necessarily always say that they were all by themselves. (laughs) But uh, uh, anyway... The point is that if you read in Genesis 34 and read that whole scenario, and we've talked about it, that uh, that he decided to build these altars at Bethel, and and to do away with these other things that weren't necessarily altars, but were evidently these strange gods. And we're going to talk about this more eventually. Strange fire. And we pointed out the fact the same word for fire is the same word for wife. And so, is it strange fire or strange wives? Because they do talk about strange wives and they do talk about strange fire. And so, you know, and this this will get us into, you know, look at the Masoretic text and, uh, and, and what went on there. And I've added to our page on the Masoretic text and I've added to a page on the Talmud, which are these other questions that came up. But one of the big points that I would like to make in this particular show is that we have to be careful of that tree of knowledge. And I will expound upon that even more in the afternoon show. But uh, I wanted people to... At least, you know, because you can go and, and I can see that I need to add to those pages. You know, I, I, I did a show partly on it from my notes, but I haven't transferred my notes over to those pages. And I think it would be very important because a lot of the, the way these verses and the stories, I mean, like, what are the altars at Bethel? What, what is he, and why, why does that make the cities round about afraid of Jacob because he created offer altars at Bethel. And did he really bury uh, these silver earrings and, and silver statues, if they were statues, these silver depositories, these reserve funds of silver under oak tree near Sesham? Is that really what he was doing? Well, you have to go back and listen to the other shows because we're, we're not going to go through all that but uh, there's a great deal of information that is surrounding that and you know they talk about uh, harlots and and strange wives and and strange fire and things that consume and destroy people and the reality we live in a cause and effect universe and there is a law that's already in place and you cannot do away with that it, it's like you you cannot 
You cannot undo that law. That if you do certain things, certain things will happen. The reality is when they talk about God and quickening, that process of cause and effect is quickened. And just as the unrighteous mammon and the rewards of unrighteousness will have a consequence, the war rewards of righteousness through grace uh, also have rewards. And that can be quickened. And so that we we can see that you know, Moses had certain powers that were vested in Moses, that were given to Moses by God. He could do things that other people couldn't do, and that was quickened in him. But then he passed it on to the Sanhedrin, the 70 that he chose, and they were able to do things that other people could not do. So this spirit of cause and effect was quickened in them. And it's almost like... uh you know, a time distortion or something around them. And, of course, we see the same thing with the 70 that Jesus sends out. Which ever, you know, when I was first growing up, and even in the seminary, I don't know anybody who ever made the correlation. Why? And I remember asking, why did Jesus pick 70? Why 70? Well, Moses picked 70. Now, I wasn't astute enough at 13 going to St. Joseph's College to make the connection because I didn't realize it was many years later when all of a sudden I thought, well, there's the 70. These guys, their role is the same. And, of course, those 70 that Jesus was sending out weren't the new legislature. (laughs) They weren't the new conscripted fathers. They weren't going to take away choice from the people, they were giving choice to the people. And that's one of the things you need to realize that when you build the altar of Jehovah Nisi, when you build the altars of Bethel, when you build the altars of clay and stone, you're giving people the alternative of choice. When they make that choice, according to the leading of the Holy Spirit, they will draw near the Holy Spirit. When they don't make the choice according to the leading of the Holy Spirit but turn their back on the Holy Spirit, they will get farther away from the tree of life, farther away from God, farther away from the divine spark, and their eyes will be darkened. Now, the reptile in the garden knows how that works. So, he wants you to get farther and farther and farther away from making these alternatives of choice. Farther away from the altars of liberty, which are the altars of free will offerings. But you have the right still today in America, in Australia, in New Zealand, in England, in Spain, and actually even in Soviet Russia, you know, although it's not supposedly Soviet Russia anymore, it's just Russia. (laughs) But it you have the right to freedom of religion. Not so much in China. <laughs> but they have quite an underground church in China. And that underground church needs the precepts that we see with the altars of Abraham, the altars of Moses, the altars of Jacob. Uh, we, we need to understand what those were, how they work, and start doing things according to that. Even in Amos 3.13, Hear ye and testify 
in the house of Jacob, saith the Lord God, the God of hosts, that in the day that I shall visit the transgressions of Israel upon him, I will also visit the altars of Bethel. And the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. What are the horns? This, These things projecting out. These horns of light? Horns of of healing? Horns of power? Horns? What kind of horns? And of course the horns are representative of something. And I will smite the winter house with the summer house and the houses of ivory shall perish and the great houses shall have an end saith the Lord. Now, is that good news or is that bad news? (laughs) It all depends on what you attach to the summer house and uh, the house of ivory. What's the house of ivory? We have to go look into the words but that's not what we're going to study today. So, but there's a lot to it. But all that's tree of knowledge stuff. What What is the tree of life stuff? How How do we get closer to the tree of life? How How do we find our way back to the righteousness of God? And somebody asked a question on the internet, and uh, they asked about the guy who was healed at the, the this pool of water. He'd been crippled for 38 years and it's in you know John 5 and so I I went and stopped everything I was doing (laughs) and went and put together a study on John 5 I have to go through all of John but this takes a huge amount of time and energy to do all this stuff but uh, I laid it out and we'll put this recording there and the prelude to this the first hour of the show will precede this. And why? Because you need to understand this context and we have to keep going back to it because the other 999,000 ministers and rabbis out there are not doing it. They're doing bits and pieces. And, and I, I'm, I'm sure hoping that God is out there telling other people. I, You know, occasionally I post on different groups and uh, some of the things are pretty... I don't know if they're reading the articles, but they like the posts. So maybe people are seeing them. But really what people have to do is sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start doing them. Because agreeing with me intellectually is fine, but you're still sitting in the tree of knowledge. You need to sit in the tree of life. You need to eat of the tree of life. The only way you can do that is to get close to the tree of life. And the way you get closer to the tree of life, to the Holy Spirit, is sacrifice. And people say, oh, the sacrifice is done away with. That's not what Christ, he wasn't doing away with the law of sacrifice. He said that it might be fulfilled in you. Which means you have to start sacrificing like Christ. If you're coming in the name of Christ, why are you complaining about sacrificing? That's what Christ was doing. You're not coming in the name of Christ if you're not sacrificing. If you're making up this silly, ridiculous excuse that sacrifice was done away with, was pure religion done away with? No. Pure religion is sacrifice. Caring. Love is sacrifice. This is why I said that in the first part of the show, so that I can repeat it now. 
So, anyway, because maybe in the repetition you will hear it eventually, but I'm backing you into a corner. If you're not taking care of all the social welfare need of your society, your church, your congregation, through faith, hope, and charity, you're not a Christian. You're not even a Jew following Moses. Because that's what Jesus and Moses were doing. If you're going to men who exercise authority one over the other to take care of your daily administration of free bread and circuses, you're not a Christian. You're not a follower of Christ. If you're not a follower of Christ, you're not a Christian. You're not a follower of Moses. You're not You're not a Jew. I, I prefer the word Israelite, but Jew is supposed to represent the people following Moses. I mean, it represents all kinds of things and all kinds of times in history. It's one of those words that's kind of lost its meaning because it has so many different meanings. It has so many different people. You know, so, and I'm not saying anything bad about Jews. I'm just, I'm saying I am not prejudiced. I am equally hard on everybody who is not following the ways of God. So chapter 5, John. Verse 1, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem, by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, I mean, poor you know, blind, halted, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain session into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Now that's the way it's described. I don't know how often this happened. I don't know, you know, if it was a regular thing or anything. But this guy had been there 38 years. And it says in verse 5, And a certain man was there which had an infirmity. 38 years. He had been there since the days of Herod. Because... Uh, Herod was about 30 years earlier, 33 years, or well, 30 years earlier, Herod was probably still there. And so, and Herod set up this temple. He built this temple. And so, he had set these things up. Now, the, the water and the angel and all that stuff, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with that, but that's why the guy was there. And also, he was dependent upon the social welfare scheme of Herod and the Pharisees because he was so crippled, he couldn't even make it down to the water by himself. You know, I know guys who don't have legs. I know guys who uh, were even quadriplegics. They could get around. Uh, even though their arms were terribly affected, they could get around. This guy couldn't even get around on his own. So he was bad off. And he says, when Jesus saw him lying and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Now they've recorded that statement. 
And that statement was for that guy, but it's also for us. So yes, I ask you, will you be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. Didn't say, well, I'll help you get down to the water. He just said, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. Jesus is, this is a lot like what we see Moses doing when he was guided as to what to tell the Pharaoh. Because he's going to, he's already hated. He's allied with John the Baptist and John the Baptist was hated because John the Baptist was out there saying, you know, if you have extra, give to those who don't have enough. And he's, he's telling people to go back to free will offerings, back to charity, back to sacrifice of love. And why is he saying that? It's because if you went to the temple, they didn't have the sacrifice of the love. They had the sacrifice of force. Because they were forcing the offerings of those people who signed up. Those people who were not idiotas, who were registered with the temple through the baptism of Herod and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You had to pay in a portion of your labor every year. Solomon had tried to set this same kind of thing up. I mean, they were in and out of this apostasy throughout their history. And we have been in and out of this apostasy throughout history as well. Because those taxes back in the 1090s with Lady Godiva eventually got imposed upon the people. But we will, I digress, so we'll go back. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked and on the same day was the Sabbath. I cannot help but believe that this is a part of the plan to create the alternative choice for all the people, which is what Jesus was up to. He was going to create for you the alternative of choice. The Jews, therefore, said unto him that was cured, they didn't say, wow, we've known you for 38 years, you've been crippled so bad, and now you're walking. Who did this? They said, it's the Sabbath day. It is unlawful for you to carry thy bed. They know he's carrying his bed. They know he's been crippled and couldn't even crawl down to the pond. And their big thing is that you're walking on the Sabbath. These guys have misplaced values, to say the least. But their eyes are darkened. We have to realize that. We need to forgive them. But I can't absolve them of the consequences of their foolishness. But anyway, in verse 11, he answers them. He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee to take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed was, wist not who it was. He didn't even know. You know, he never said, Who are you? (laughs) This is all happening rather suddenly. Which is just, it's a miracle in itself that if you've been crippled for 38 years and all of a sudden now you have the muscle tone to actually get up and pick up your bed and walk around, this is a serious, serious miracle. For Jesus had conveyed himself away a multitude being in that place. So he didn't even know who it was. 
And I, I once told the story of the blind man that was the only place where God went, or Jesus went and looked up a guy, and that was incorrect. I was wrong. My tree of knowledge, I didn't, I missed a branch. Because here it says in verse 14, afterwards, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him. So Jesus went, now it doesn't say that he went and looked for him, it says he, he found him. So he may have just come across him, so I may have still been right. <laughs> Not that it's important. Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more. That's the worst thing come unto thee. And this was the original question. What sin? Was he sinning? And this is what I hope to answer with, you know, the side panel over there. But we'll go on with verse 15. The man departed and told the Jews that he was Jesus. Because now he knows, evidently, he said, so, who are you? (laughs) And And he told them, evidently. And so now he knows it was Jesus, which had made him whole, and therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus. And that word persecute, you can look that up on your own. And sought to slay him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Which, of course, if you've studied our 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 studies on Sabbath, you know the Sabbath has nothing to do with not picking up your bed and walking, not, nothing to do with... Uh, pulling your your sheep out of a pit or changing a tire for an old lady on the side of the road or helping a guy with his three children, a set of twins and a small baby who are stuck on the side of the road as the sun is going down and saying, I can't come and help you because the sun's going down and it's the Sabbath. That's what a Sabbath keeper actually said once. I've told that story. Yeah. Well, he heard from me <laughs> when I heard that story. But uh, now the Sabbath is about working first. Well, guess what? Kingdom of Heaven is about sacrificing first. The first fruits. That's what Moses starts with. you got to give the first fruits. Whatever you produce, the first fruits of whatever you produce, has got to go to the altars to get burnt up with fire. <laughs> Except for it's not burnt up with fire. <laughs> it, it's because the same word for fire is woman. It has to be used for the care of the needy of society. That's why. That's why the the turtle dove goddess, the dove goddess, is a woman. Because it, it it's part of the nature of the woman to care for the child, the the helpless, the infant. It's it's just built into her hormonal. Self. Now, some women have this more, and some women have it less. Yeah, I, I, I found it interesting. We only have a few more minutes. But I found it interesting that somebody was pointing out that if a woman acts like a man with masculine aggression, she's praised for it. If a man acts like a man with aggression, you know, that toxic masculinity, he's condemned for it. If the man acts like a woman, effeminate, he's praised for it. He's now the hero. <laughs> we are, have allowed them to turn the world upside down. And when we turn it right side up again, they're going to say that we are the ones who turn the world upside down. But you'll 
you, you hopefully you'll see by the time we get down to the end of this chapter that turning the world upside down is simply giving you the alternative choice. And Christ is giving you that. It's there right in front of you. Your local churches aren't giving you that. They're actually delivering you into the hands of the beast. Because they're saying that you just come here to feel good. We will stimulate your emotions and make you think you're saved. But if you need anything, Medicare, Medicaid, you need your parents taken care of or anything, we want you to go to the fathers of the earth, the men who exercise authority one over the other. We want you to go to them. Because we, we, we don't have the way to handle. It's kind of like uh, Martha's Vineyard when they got those 50 uh, illegal aliens who landed there. They actually have an office in Martha's Vineyard to handle uh, illegal aliens that come. They just didn't know they had it because they never use it. They never expect anybody to show up. <laughs> And so they called the army. Like, Get these these fifty people out of here! <laughs> what a joke! What a joke! But anyway, we'll talk more about this when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're in verse seventeen of John, and and Jesus is you know answered them and said, "My Father worketh here too." And I work. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him. Because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that the God was, that God was his father. Making him equal with God. Well, actually what it makes him is the son of God, which we'll see later. And of course, the son of God is a title given also to Augustus Caesar. And the Pharisees liked Augustus Caesar. And I think I have links on the page there. If you look up Augustus Caesar, you can go read an article on Augustus Caesar. That he was, they were very fond of Augustus because he was giving them all kinds of benefits and special treatment. And, uh, so the, and if, if Jesus was the Son of God, then he carried out the job of the Son of God which was the social welfare, you know, because that was a title given to somebody who was taking care of the needy of society. Because for centuries and centuries, people understood that there was some sort of divine will, there was some sort of pattern in the universe, that, you know, the unmoved mover, they have lots of different ways to reference, but there is some sort of divine intelligence that seems to be controlling everything. And the closer you are to nature, the more you will see that. A lot of the people who think they're getting close to nature, they have no understanding of nature whatsoever today. But they're under, they also don't know the difference between men and women and a lot of other delusions that they have. But the reality is, is that there is this pattern, there is this influence, there is this power that is moving through all of creation that seems to hold all of creation together according to a uniform, uh, unique design. And those people who are called the sons of God were those people who were closest to all the Israelites were called themselves children of God. If you were a guy, you were a son of God. Uh, all of the the women, if you were a woman, you were a daughter of God. 
and and we even uh, you know I've even added to our page on Moses explaining and some of the descriptions in there that we will address when we go through more of the the symposium videos that are coming out. The the reality is is that the 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 daughter who took a Pharaoh who took Moses out of the water was called the daughter of God. So there's nothing blasphemous about the idea of we're all children of God. If you're a guy, you're a son of God. And if you're, but now are you an obedient son of God? <laughs> That's, you know, Jesus has a parable about that. The ones that say, yes, father, I will do it, but doesn't do it. And the one that says, no, I'm not going to do it. But then he repents and he goes and does it. Which one is the true son? I mean, they're both technically the sons of the father, but there's one who is righteously the son of the father. And he is the one who doeth the will of the father. So you're all children of God. The problem is to, to call yourself the son of God means that you're the highest son of God. Hosanna in the highest. <laughs> uh, and therefore you get to regulate this centralized temple of charity that is taking care of the needy of society. Because religion is how you take care of the needy of society. And pure religion is how you take care of the needy of society, unspotted by the men who exercise authority one over the other. Unspotted by the world, by the constitutional orders and systems of men who make civil law, which is the law they make for themselves. Unfortunately, the laws they make for themselves is often the result of eating of the tree of knowledge. And those laws get distorted. At first you think it's a really good idea to give power to the government to make choices for you because then you don't have to take the time to make the choices for yourself. But then eventually they begin to make choices that are bad for you that starts killing you by tens of thousands of people. But it's because you gave up your power of choice because you despise having dominion. Because you're too busy satisfying your own lusts. And the way to reverse that is to sacrifice, to fast from your lusts and sacrifice not for yourself, but for others. That's, that's a key thing. So anyway, let's get back to the chapter. You know, I, I briefly during the break, I I went over to look at that particular verse and a lot of the other uh where it talks about, uh, you know, uh, King James says, my father worketh here too, and I work. And so that's, that's one of the translations. But I, I notice in the, the Living Bible, my father is always working, and so am I. So that's the way they changed that. But, uh, what I, I really wanted to do is, uh, show you the comparison when we get into, the other verses of uh, John, like in 19, and it says, Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, there also doeth the Son likewise. So, in other words, Jesus is saying, I am following the ways of the Father. The Father giveth life. I am giving life. 
and it doesn't matter if it's the Sabbath or not, I'm going to give you life. And that's kind of what he was saying with the verse before, is that, you know, and it's something I've kind of joked about, is that here we have this show on the Sabbath, and I've got, you know, three hours of, uh, uh, radio broadcasts that we do every Sabbath, which takes another three to six hours of work besides, or sometimes a lot more. Uh, but, uh, so where's my Sabbath? Well, my Sabbath is the fact that I'm willing to work first and, and hope for you repenting and learning to live by faith, hope, and charity instead of force, fear, and fealty, which is why you're back in the bondage of Egypt. So verse 20, for the father loveth the son and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. For as the Father raiseth, raiseth up the dead, and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will, which he has already done with the Sanhedrin of Jesus, which is the seventy of Jesus. For the Father judges no man, but hath committeth all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. Again, the Hebrew word for honor is to fatten. <laughs> uh, you're supposed to honor the Father in heaven. You're also supposed to honor your father and your mother. You're supposed to take care of them by that alternative of choice, by those free will offerings. But you have chosen to give that power, that right, that responsibility to the government. They will take care, and you just simply pay into the temple of Social Security, and that will take care of your parents. You don't have to do any more ought for your parents. You see the connection there? He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. Honor, give to This is very important why they set up altars. Why priests who manned those altars, they weren't there to tickle your ears, make you feel good. They were there to redistribute what you gave them to the needy as professional men of charity to take care of the needy. So that you weren't always the one handing it straight to them. This makes you an anonymous giver. Which Jesus talks a great deal about. You know, you don't give up there in the front so everybody knows. You give anonymously. Because there's the danger of getting appreciation directly from that person that you give. Which is fine. But that in itself can be an addiction. Because their appreciation might come in the form of adoration. They might put you up on a pedestal. Well, we remove that from the equation when we go through a third party. Also, there's the secondary thing. There's actually three, four items to this. That this guy who's giving to the poor, he's keeping track of what he's giving. You know, I've seen this so many times. Somebody, people have actually done this where they've poisoned their own children to create an artificial disease, then go online and say, my daughter is dying of a mysterious uh, ailment and, and everything, and I have all these doctor bills and everything, and they pull in like a million dollars in donations. 
Seen a minister come from Africa, took pictures in orphanages in Africa, had no orphanages in Africa, took these pictures, then goes around all up and down the East Coast showing these pictures at different churches that let him in. And he's saying that we're collecting money for the orphanages in Africa that we're building and, and we're looking for your help. And he gives all these heart-rendering pictures and tells all these stories. He got millions of dollars, eight million dollars at least that we know that he got. He had no orphanages at all, and nobody ever got the money back. We never found out what happened to the money. He finally got deported. <laughs> I think he spent about a year in jail for the fraud. But uh, he ends up somewhere in Switzerland. He's probably got $8 million. <laughs> so you need to have people that are watching this so that it's not abused. And then you need to watch them. In order to do that, you need to have charity, not where you send it all to the Red Cross, but you send it to somebody you actually know. This is why you're sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, or should be. So anyway, enough of common sense. Verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, which is the Father, this divine designer, hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. Now this is where that quickening comes in. This is where if you're really born again you're born of the Spirit. And you're not going to be doing these other things. Go read our article on born again. Verily, verily I say unto you the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. See, there's where that Son of God pops in. And I have a link there so you can read our article on Son of God so you get a better idea of what that means. You're all sons of God. You're just not the Son of God. (laughs) And neither am I. We're all children of God. And they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. You want to become that children, those children of God, where God is putting life into you. In order to do that, you have to take the life that he's already given you and give up a portion of that for somebody else you absolutely don't even know. (laughs) You know, it's that red button in reverse. The red button, you push the red button, you get a billion dollars, but somebody you don't even know Dies. That's the story of the red button, if you haven't heard. And, of course, at the end of the story, the people push the button. They get a billion. Ding dong. Guys there with a billion dollars. Used to be a million, but inflation. It's a billion dollars. They give them a check for a billion dollars. And they're looking at the check. And the guy picks up the box with the red button. And he starts going out. And they says, where are you taking that? Oh, we're going to give it to somebody that absolutely does not know you. <laughs> And they will have the alternative of choice of pushing the red button and killing you (laughs) or not. And so that's a a great story. But anyway, we all have the red button right before us. That we have the red button. Maybe we should make it a red button and a blue button. You push the blue button, you lose something, but you get life more abundant. So anyway, verse 29, and shall come forth 
they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. But if you go to a church that says it doesn't matter what you do, it just matter what you think, you are not following Christ. Because you have to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, not someone who says, I believe, but I don't want to do anything. I just want to go to the church for an hour and then I'll go home and watch the game. <laughs> no, you have to actually start walking in the spirit of Christ, which is the spirit of sacrifice. Verse 30, I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is just. As he hears who? As he hears you? As he hears the Father. That's why every time you go to do something, you have to have this habit of asking the Lord. And you have to get in a place where you can do that. You have to become that humble heart and say, should I do this? Should I not do this? And you have to listen really careful. And, and the vain ears of a man can't hear very well. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that beareth witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. Ye sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not the testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. So what did John say? Uh, what was John the Baptist telling people? Take care of one another through charity. What was Jesus telling people? Take care of one another through charity. What did Jesus say not to do? Don't take care of one another through men who exercise authority one over the other. What are you doing? Most of you are taking care of the needy of your society through men who exercise authority. And you're borrowing against the future in order to do that. And you're returned to the bondage of Egypt, but you think you're saved. Saved from what? <laughs> no. You need to repent. You have need of repentance. So they sent unto John. There was this conflict between John and the, and these Pharisees already existed. And Jesus was, he was rubbing their nose in it. And by healing that man, he was spanking the puppy and sticking his nose in the doo-doo. This guy's been here for 38 years. You never healed him. You wouldn't even help him get down to the pond when the waters were troubled. You had created so many people in your network that pushed him out of the way to save themselves rather than to save this man who had been there waiting for 38 years. You have created a society of selfish, self-centered, woke ideologists. And you out there have done the same thing. With your religion, with your false religion, with your public religion. But Jesus received not the testimony of man, but these things I say that you might be saved. And that's why I repeated that. He was... A burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. Talking about John. But they weren't doing. Verse 36, but I have a greater witness than of John. 
for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. See, I, I, I can only look at God through a cleft in the rock. I, I, I can't really see the whole thing. I can talk about it. I can converse with you. And the reason I converse with you is so that you will converse with God. Because I can't tell you what God wants you to do today. And ye have not His word abiding in you, but you could. For whom He hath sent, him ye believeth not. Search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me, that ye might have life. And this is Jesus, I'm quoting. I receive not honor from men. Are you doing what Christ said? Are you taking care of the needy? Are you sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands? Are you... Are you trying to create the alternative of choice for others? Or are you going to bring your catechism to the congregation? Well, we'll talk about that this afternoon. But I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. He's talking to them. Hopefully he's not talking to you. Hopefully you are getting the love of God in you, which is caring about all life. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Well, the honor again is that's what fattens you. It's the benefits that you get. It's the unrighteous mammon. It is the wages of unrighteousness, the rewards of unrighteousness. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust, or at least they say they trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me. For he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? So what was the sin of you know, now we, again, the sin, sin is falling short. It's not necessarily a particular event. We, we say, well, if you do this, that's a sin. No, that thing you did is evidence of the sin. The sin is not loving the light. It is not, it is eating of the tree of knowledge rather than the tree of life. And you can't even get near the tree of life if you're not willing to humble your heart and admit that you cannot decide what is good and evil, you cannot figure it out with all your study, not that you shouldn't study, but you need to, you know, where it says, study to show thyself approved. I've said this a hundred thousand times, <laughs> a hundred or a thousand times. That's never translated study except that one place. It means be diligent. Be diligent in what? In the ways of Christ. What are the ways of Christ? The ways of Christ is sacrifice. So how are you daily sacrificing for the needs of others? And if you are not, why would you expect others to come to your aid when you have a need? And and 
over on the side panel, I point out that the, the beginning of the chapter sets the scene uh, often observed in, on Black Fridays, this, back when I was nine years old, sitting down at what we had in Houston, Texas as a mall. Was, uh, we didn't call them malls yet. <laughs> it was like a mall. And I was sat there on a little bench with my brothers and sisters, and my parents evidently went off to buy Christmas gifts. And I was watching the people in this big open store uh, that was across the little walkway. And somebody came out with one of those big tubs and dumped it. I can still see it. I'm, I'm, as I'm telling you, I'm describing what I see. One of these big cardboard tubs with little metal rims on it, full of mismatched gloves and sweaters and little hats and odd items and everything. And it was on like a half-off table or 40% off table. And the people all hovered around there. And they were grabbing stuff and, and squeezing in and getting stuff and everything. And, of course, there's all these Christmas decorations around and Christmas music. And I think Gene Autry was playing <laughs> Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And uh, I saw vultures <laughs> picking a carcass. And I, I saw the spirit that was in these people. Not a good thing. Not a good thing. And this is what the ways of FDR have created in America. Everything you're seeing is the result of that spirit, which was highly observed in FDR's plan, even eventually by McLeish, and LBJ's plan, and Barack Obama's plan, and all these stuff. But people don't see it. Because like, like that quote I gave you from Plutarch, it creeps in. <laughs> like we can go to the, the Bible, creeps in unawares to the houses of silly women. What are silly women? That's, that's those strange women. That's, that's those, that's the harlot that we are going to, to get either a feeling of good or our welfare. And we need to repent of that. So anyway, uh, until then, peace on your house. And may God be with you. See you on the network. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.